This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by TouringPlans.com. Head over to TouringPlans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the Crowd Calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the Touring Plans to save time and money waiting in line. TouringPlans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. Welcome again, everyone, to the Disney Film Project podcast. I am Rachel. I am not your typical host, Ryan, but I'm stepping in tonight uh, for Ryan, who could not be here for uh, top secret, perhaps top secret shield uh, reasons, perhaps something to do with Captain America. We can't, we can't say anything. We're, we don't have the clearance. Um, joining us tonight, we have our producer, uh, Ms. Cheryl Perlmutter. Uh, how are you doing, Cheryl? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing great. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Captain America here soon. Um, and we also have Todd Perlmutter with us. How are you doing, Todd? Hey, I just want to let you know I'm level eight already. I You're do. level oh. And we also have a special guest with us here tonight, a friend of Todd and Cheryl's, and now I've met her as well, Sarah. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me tonight. I'm very excited to chat. <laughs> I want to do an additional... Um, Introduction to Sarah. Um, if you have dietary needs, um, like Sarah and I do, um, we're, like I, Sarah has gluten, I have dairy, I have some gluten. Ryan, Ryan's trying to get, go. Ryan's trying to go gluten free. Um, Sarah runs a website, gluten free, dairy free in Disney, and she covers mostly Disney World because unfortunately she doesn't live out in California. <laughs> 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 and um, so it's a really great resource for here. Because she, like me, can give you your opinions on the best restaurants to come to service and restaurants to go to, and not the best restaurants to come to service to go to. <laughs> yes, we talk about it all. They're the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> and soap. And soap, yes. We talk non-food special diets things at Disney, too. Great. Awesome. Okay, so tonight we are discussing... 1973's Super Dad. Uh, Sarah, what is your history with this movie? So this movie is a very nostalgic film for me. Uh, as a child of the 80s, I watched this about a million times, much to my parents' chagrin, because I repeated many, 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 many of the quotes from the movie and watched it many, many times uh, and haven't really seen it since I've been an adult. So this was kind of... Uh, Fun way to look back on a nostalgic film. Uh, Todd and Cheryl, had you guys seen this movie before, or was this your first time? I had not, and I think I think they could have just changed the main character to be Dexter Riley, and we could have done a Dexter Riley sequel. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know that uh, like most of the movies in this time period, this is actually done by the same people who did uh, all the Medfield College movies, right? It's it's that, you know, live action 70s fun fiesta group. It gets all the same actors. The kids who are in the beach scenes are all the same kids. And I'm pretty sure that we reused uh, some hijinks as well. 
Uh, there, there are a lot of hijinks in this movie, to say the least. <laughs> um, you know what's interesting is like this movie, I guess uh, Disney is not overly fond of it because it was uh, a flop when it was released. Yeah, that's what I heard, both yeah. critically and uh, financially. Yeah. So what what happened was is it was while well, it was released in VHS, uh, it had only had a DVD release that was uh, available through Disney Movie Club. Okay. So uh, it, and only recently did it even come out digitally. I think just last year, if I'm not mistaken. So. Yeah. And the other thing is that it wasn't actually released. It was released, I think, in 75. It was shelved for a couple years after they produced it. So I don't think they were... They were suspecting that it was going to be a commercial success even before it hit the theaters. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, you, you know, you have to look at uh, Bob Crane a little bit. And, I, and granted, we are going to... Uh, absolve ourselves of talking of the uh, sordid parts of this story. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how many people have done, how, if everybody else has done research on Bob Crane, but trust me, I'll give some websites and you can read about it, but I'm not really going to discuss some of it. Um, he uh, had just come off of doing Hogan's Heroes, right? Hogan's Heroes had one of the most successful television runs in history at the time, right? It went for about 160 something episodes, if I'm not mistaken, which was, you know, by today's most shows quit after about 70 episodes if they get that far. So just to give you a comparison, um, it was the show that he's most famous for, though he was also on the Donna Reed show for a while. Right. I mean, just to make sure everybody's familiar with who yeah. Bob Crane is. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> he didn't have a very big movie career. Uh, he about, did about six or seven movies. And this and Gus are two of them. Okay. Uh, what happened was uh, after he he looked at this as uh, a means for getting back on board, because uh, after Hogan's Heroes he didn't really go anywhere and he wanted to just become so because this was a leading man role he took it he jumped at it and he went all over on talk shows and newspaper interviews and everything touting this film. Okay, and um, what happened was is at some time as you know after this after this movie and Gus. He was done with films. He was done with Disney, okay? And he went into theater acting, and while he was on the road, he got murdered. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> yes. I had no idea. Uh, Bob Crane is literally one of the most famous unsolved murders in the United States. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, the sordid stuff comes, came out as part of the case, and I'm not going to discuss that. But uh, there was a guy he was friends with. Uh, he was introduced um, to him as part of from um, what's his name, um, the uh, Family Feud dude. Oh, Richard Dawson. Richard Dawson introduced him to a guy named Carpenter, um, who was worked with Sony. And basically, what happened was, is Carpenter was brought on trial for his murder. Uh, but the evidence was considered circumstantial because it was done uh, many, many years later. You're talking he was murdered in 1978, and this uh, arrest was in 1992. So it was pre-DNA, post-DNA analysis. So what, they pulled some of the stuff, did some DNA, but uh, because DNA wasn't really accepted, uh, he was found not guilty, and so it's still considered an unsolved case. And there's mm -hmm. lots of discussion to read about it online if people want to do it and uh like i said this was his first starring role uh there's a very good movie by the way called autofocus 
Yes. Okay, which stars mm-hmm. Greg Kinnear uh, playing the role of Bob Crane, and that real movie really goes into the sordid details. So, mm-hmm. and they also feature Super Dad in that as well. They do some recreation yes. shots of the set. Yes, yes they do. <laughs> <laughs> of of the uh, skiing scene, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> It's kind of it's kind of sad to hear about that because I read this interview with him where he was talking about he was excited about Superdad and he was excited about the notion of being a a leading role in in a movie because he thought that it would really launch him and that people like he was telling the story about being in a grocery store and this woman going oh you're what's his name what's his name what's his name and he goes Bob Crane like after ten minutes and she goes no that's not it <laughs> and she, and she walked and she turned around and walked away still thinking that he wasn't Bob Crane, but not knowing who she thought he was. So he got his, his career in radio, was where he started, and um, in California, I forget the actual place. He was a DJ. And he was a DJ. He was a, he was a stand-up comedian. Okay, so he was a very funny, likable man from all accounts, okay? And so uh, he was a great storyteller, because I read some of the interviews, too, and I think that if those are his actual words, he just has a way with words that was very clever, yeah, and engaging. And I kind of, I, I really enjoyed reading things that he talked about. I would, I also wanted to mention before we get into the plot of this, um, Leonard Maltin actually gave this movie a bomb rating, which officially makes it ranked lower than the Shaggy DA. And I don't know how you guys feel about that. <laughs> As far as as far as which one you would put ahead, but which Shaggy I, I, Day, the one with the one with um Tim Allen, the ice cream truck, ice cream, oh, the original, the original, okay, yeah, yep. oh, oh, the Shaggy Dog is the the, re, the remake, yeah, Shaggy the Dog's remake. the remake, yep. I keep thinking, I keep thinking Shaggy Day is the Shaggy Dog, and I don't know. Well, technically, the Tim Allen movie is a remake of both Shaggy Dog and Shaggy yes. combined. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, like I said, it's 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 that seventies movie, and something's got to be near the bottom. And there's stuff that's definitely better than this. I, I, I didn't, you know, honestly. Here's the thing: I didn't think this was an absolutely terrible movie. I just thought it was kind of a meh movie. Like I've never really felt like I could just say meh about a movie before. It's just all over the place, the plot-wise. Um, well, let me just get into how how this movie opens. Um, at the opening of this, the note that I have is corny intro music with surfing and a song. Because <laughs> <laughs> nothing says, uh, you know, surfing in California like a romantic slow song. <laughs> well, it was weird. So I think they were trying to be a little Carol Carpenter there with that song. Right? Yeah, it, that kind of vibe I got. Yeah, it's very Carol Carpenter, very sort of folk songsy. I'm not sure what they're trying to get, but it's it's also the same song that they end up repeating at the end at the wedding. Um and two other times in the middle of the movie. <laughs> yeah, which became which became apparently that was like the one thing out of this movie that became really popular was that song for a while for weddings. <laughs> really? I didn't I didn't even think about it. I guess so cuz of the wedding. So, that makes sense. By the way, there's a marriage at the end, folks. I know we're jumping ahead. Spoilers. 
Okay, so the next scene, we have uh, the father of the movie, Charlie, who's having a dream about his daughter growing up. Um, and he's he's having flashbacks to when she was younger and uh, kind of when she was making friends, that people that she's friends with now, including her current boyfriend, Bart, who her dad is not a fan of. Um, and he's also not really a fan of her friends either, which did anyone recognize... Um, Bruno Kirby, very young Bruno Kirby, in this movie. Yes, um, I love your group Bruno of friends. Kirby. Yeah, he's he great. Is, he is the MVP of this movie, in my opinion. I absolutely <laughs> agree. Stanley is the star character in this film. He's the he's the thing that keeps it together. The literal driver of the car <laughs> of the film. <laughs> <laughs> he's in he's in more of the film than. Um, the mom is, for example. <laughs> oh, yes. And and I think it, it points the boyfriend. Yeah, I think he's in it more than Kurt Russell is. He might actually be. He's kind of the voice of, like, of his conscience, of Charlie's conscience at points. That he's like, oh, you know, like, we're not that bad, are we? And Bart's, Bart's a good guy, and he he tends to appeal to, to uh, Charlie's better nature. So, um... So the opening of this movie, we've got some stuff about uh, the father, Charlie. Um, he's a businessman. He's uh, talking with his colleague, um, who is played by oh, Dick Van sorry, Patten. Yes, yeah. yes, Ira, who is played by Dick Van Patten. Uh, apparently, there's some issues with a union. And um, while this meeting is going on, Charlie is too preoccupied with his own problems with his daughter to be paying attention to the meeting. Also, we've got Joe Flynn, which is our, again, our back, our, one of our guys from the Midville College days. Yes, he's Dean Higgins. This this movie, real, just to let you guys know, this movie jumps around a lot. And there isn't really like a plot like a really driving force throughout it aside from a father kind of trying to connect with his daughter so if it seems like we're jumping around a lot we're not this is actually how the movie goes um so we've got uh uh his daughter and bart uh down at the beach they're uh hanging out with their friends and talking about college and they're debating about whether you know they're going to be going to the same school or not and whether the big question is whether they're going to get scholarships. This is apparently the determining factor as to where they will be going to school. Yeah, well, this is a common trope for, you know, boys and girls going to college, right, is will they get it to the same school? Will they get scholarships? It's, it's a very, very common movie thing. Okay, so... Then we have uh, Stanley, who we mentioned before, played by Bruno Kirby. He is the constant throughout the movie. He is uh, in their group of friends and always kind of the driver, uh, taking them everywhere. And uh, whatever whatever job he happens to have at the time, they're going to take his car that he has for that job. Um, and this time he takes them in an ambulance. And they all sing a song together. A very, very <laughs> 70s song. <laughs> A very long seventies song, and and I'm surprised there were no police. Our our buddy's a policeman from all these other movies was not in this film pulling the ambulance over for having Kurt Russell be on be out out, hanging out the back. 
That is true. Uh, it's Officer Carmody, I think is his name. Yes, that would be a nice extra touch. That's Ross, but I don't think anyone else would have noticed. I, I agree, they should have done that. Don't know why they didn't. Okay, so in the midst of all this, uh, Bart interrupts uh, Cyrus and Ira's uh, golf game. They head back to the home to drop Wendy off. Yes. And uh, and and we meet uh, Charlie's wife Sue, and they're talking about um, the fact that Charlie doesn't like uh, Wendy's friends. She does, he doesn't like Bart. He doesn't really like the type of people that she's hanging out with because they're all no good nicks. And of course, at that point, they all pull up in the ambulance. And we come back to the house, and uh, Charlie and Sue are talking about the fact that. Charlie does not like uh, Wendy's friends. He doesn't like the type of people she's hanging out with. And is he's kind of hoping that once she goes off to college that Wendy's going to break up with Bart and maybe find someone a little more respectable. Um, and he happens to be watching TV and overhears a psychologist on TV suggesting that maybe instead of uh, just saying, well, I don't understand my teenager, maybe uh, they should spend time with their kids and get to know them. Um, which, of course, leads to all sorts of hijinks, as in most of these 1970s uh, live-action Disney movies. Um, and uh, Charlie decides to tag along with Wendy down to the beach. And, and hijinks definitely ensue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he gets really forceful. I, forgot, I kind of felt like he like really was insinuating himself like to an extensive point into the whole afternoon there. Yes, everything he does just bombs. He tries to sit with them at the beach. That's weird. Then he tries to play volleyball and promptly fails. And they almost win. They're trying to beat this team. And then, of course, the dad causes them to lose. Then they try to play football. That's bad. And then uh, Stanley comes with another job in another vehicle with a boat, and uh, they decide they're going to go out skiing. No, he takes his parents' boat. He takes his parents' boat, which we get we we get that later. We get we get the other half of that later, which is gonna be which is my funny thing. Um, I want to comment that Bob Crane had done all these stunts himself. Yeah, he actually got injured in the football scene. Yep. Yeah, I read about that in the interview I saw, um, that they had done a lot of ad-libbing, and at first they didn't think that he was actually injured. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wow. And apparently he was limping, like, through the rest of the movie, if you look closely. So when he screams in the film, I guess those are probably genuine screams then, which are pretty convincing, pretty convincing, and pretty hilarious. They're awesome screams, because they're not not the stock uh, Goofy or Wilhelm screams. Right there, it's like his own scream or some sort. I don't know it's, where they got it from, but it's neither of those. It's like the girliest terror scream you ever heard, and it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I have to. It, it's that's what I mean. It's like it's not. It's not terrible. It's just not exciting either. Is my only thing. Like what? Here's a, we're talking that the most exciting thing about this scene of events, right, is not that he gets tackled during football. Not that he falls in the water while surfing. Not I mean, because he he gets tackled by a wave while going out to surf. He never makes out to surf. Not that he misses the jump, water skiing, right? Or he, I guess he does it and he wipes out. But it's that we love the scream. So it doesn't say a lot for the hijinks that they were trying to do throughout this scene. 
the series of scenes, I kind of sort of feel when we're sitting here going, the most exciting thing is the scream. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing that's really strange about this whole sequence at the beach is also, this is how they promoted most of the movie. Like, if you look at the promotional materials, it all has to do with the dad at the beach. Um, Like, the tagline from one of the posters of the movie says, Young love is making waves, and dad's about to get beached. (laughs) Hmm. And it's legitimately, like, five minutes of the whole film. And the other one is, the other one is, Dad tries to relate to his daughter and ends up related to her boyfriend. (laughs) And has the the van (laughs) with the wave coming out of people. Uh. All of this worked better better when Fonzie did it several years later. (laughs) Even though there was jumping the shark involved. Yeah, I was going to say, there's no no shark in our water skiing sequence, but... Um... <laughs> Would liven things up a bit. Yes. <laughs> um, so, did anyone else find the talk about generational gap? Um, did any this sound familiar to anyone, especially if you've been reading the news recently with all the millennials talk? It goes on all the time. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly, I can't remember a period in my life where I haven't heard this conversation, you know, in, in several different forms, whether it's, you know, about the Internet or Facebook or whether it was about, you know, at the, at the end of the 80s, you know, the generational gap of the, you know, the kids wanting to go to war as opposed to fighting against the war. That was a big thing with Desert Storm. Um, you know, on, on and on and on. It's, it's, there's always something for people to talk about regarding generation gap. And I think really it's just, I think it's lazy conversation. I did want to equate a good movie I've seen. is um, There was one with Edna, Ed Asner on the Hallmark Channel. I know, again, I watch too much Hallmark Channel, folks. You can send letters to Todd. Tell him to, give, tell him to cut off my cable. <laughs> Um, but it was really good because it, 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 like, the kid had been acting out, and so the, the mom puts the grand, the, the grandkid with the grandfather, and he learns respect from the grandfather through the, and getting the generation gap, you know, closing. And so I, I kind of like the aspect when they do it that way. I'm not sure, I think, I think the generation gap in this way was too close. Like, you know, you're never, you know, you might not get someone that's, you know, the next generation from you, but you'll get one from two generations from you. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of felt like they were going for the father of the bride type feel, but there wasn't a wedding to frame everything. That's, that's so what I said to Cheryl the whole time we're watching the movie. I said, as I get what they were trying to do, but... I, I just feel like Father of the Bride, the original one and the Steve Martin one, both did it better. Yeah. And that's part of the problem of the plot of this movie because I, like we just got done with the scene at the beach and the whole next section of the movie is about Charlie tricking his daughter into believing that she got a scholarship to this school. Yep. Let's not forget about unions and striking workers. <laughs> Yes, union and striking workers, which plays into it, I guess. It's just another subplot, 
in the I don't think it was needed. I really I don't think I really don't think that subplot was needed other than other than to, to bring a, the 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 really bad boyfriend that we meet at the end. Well, her boyfriend at the end bears a striking resemblance to a certain TV artist. Oh, yeah. Bob Ross. You know yes, you know evil who? Bob Ross. I was going to say that exactly. He's a deranged Bob Ross. It's pretty amazing. You, you, you know who the guy is, right? He um, In the uh, other movie with um, the, the Blackbeard's ghost, he plays the Silky Seymour guy. It's the same actor. Yeah. Oh. Yep. <laughs> yeah, if Bob Ross ever had an evil brother, it would be Clutch. It would be Clutch. <laughs> um, by the way, one of my favorite things in this whole thing is that because they were filming Dad Wiping Out, okay, is I just really like the fact that they're all sitting laughing at him and they're watching the exact same footage that they just showed up on the, you know, and, and at their little party after the beach day. Yeah, Stanley's Stanley got some sense. Yeah, and Stanley's got some serious film skills with that Super 8 if he can make it look like that. <laughs> also, some amazing developing skills for the 70s, by the way, because yes. it, it would take weeks and weeks to get back film back then. So. Yeah. <laughs> so after all the hijinks at the beach and uh, watching the footage from uh, the failed experiment in water skiing, um, we have sort of the college part of this movie. Um, where Wendy goes off to college, and her mom suggests that she has to go to uh, to this one house. She has to make sure that she lives in this one house, <laughs> which has changed quite a bit since her mother's days at this school. I'm not yes. convinced that it had. <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely had to have because Charlie used to go visit his wife there, and he seemed to think that it was much changed, so... Oh, yeah, I guess so. I guess they're right. Muller Barlow became a pool shark in the in the meantime. <laughs> I think it was um, the part of it being co-ed was the, yes. was the major change. That it was you know in in mom's day it was just a women's you know dorm, and then then apparently Muller Barlow didn't have enough girls coming into the door, so she had to open up to open up to get fill her fill her rooms. <laughs> Although, I'm not sure how many rooms she really had in the house. It was the 70s. I'm not sure it mattered. <laughs> so, oh, in the... Oh, also sorry. Go has, ahead, Todd. Also, she has the guys being uh, bouncers. <laughs> I, that was... Yeah, I, I don't know. I just... It was kind of weird that, the, you know, those two guys that were standing by the door, right? When Charlie's there and he comes in, right? They kind of throw him out. Yes, because he has to see a darn it's, it's after 10, so yeah. she, he's out of luck. So because Charlie has been uh, barred from seeing his daughter, he decides to take matters into his own hands and gets a ladder from Outback and tries to to climb into his daughter's room by the window. Of course, this does not work out very well for him, and ladder hijinks turn into uh, trampoline hijinks turn into swimming pool hijinks. <laughs> Turn into going to jail as a peeping Tom. <laughs> that was the oddest part about it for me. I would think that at that point they would figure out, you know, he's not really looking to be a peeping Tom. He's just trying to get in to see his daughter. I agree. 
I yeah, yeah. It seems like an odd choice. I think they, I think they were doing it so that they could bring Wendy and Bart back in. But I don't know. It's it's hard to know. Their their plot again was very loose. Yeah, and uh, the scene after they they get uh, Charlie out of jail and um, and he takes a walk with uh, Wendy back to uh, back to her dorm and has a talk with her about how when she enrolls for her classes the next day, she needs to make sure to speak to one person and no one else. Because, um, because of course, her, uh, her scholarship is not actually a scholarship. Uh, he paid for it himself. Yes, and he was in cahoots with Claude Archer, who was the friend of Ira, his co-worker, we skip ahead a little ways um, after uh, the arrest and after uh, um, after him being uh, put into prison for being a peeping Tom. Um, we skip ahead to Wendy coming home from college, and uh, and she is bringing home a guy with her, which of course makes uh, Charlie very very happy. Um, but after they arrive at the house, uh, Bart and Stanley and all of their friends show up and. Um, what's a very, I guess, very pleasant but very sterile uh, talk ends up turning into a bit of a ruckus. Yeah. Um, I, I had a couple of comments about this whole scene. <laughs> One, uh, the, the, the boy that she takes on is named Roger, right? Uh, just because, you know, there's a pseudo-y Avengers connection here is uh, the actor who plays Roger is Nicholas Hammond, who in the 70s, there was a live-action Amazing Spider-Man show, and he played Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Oh, funny. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, look it up. It's, it's awesome. It's like he went around in a beige suit and a turtleneck all the time as Peter Parker with the camera around his neck, and his hair was a lot bigger. <laughs> wow. But, but, but what drove me up a wall about this conversation was he's he's very pompous and he has this whole conversation about how he wanted to study law and he wanted to go to the best law school. And I'm like, but he's going to Huntington, not Harvard or Yale, but Huntington. <laughs> <laughs> I just felt that was really odd. Maybe the best law school on the West Coast. Could be. <laughs> Well, there are a lot of odd things about this movie. Yes. This just being one of them. <laughs> well, it, it had all the Medfield College people in it. Why not just make it Medfield College at that point? <laughs> and, of course, we need to mention um, that our Star Wars connection is actually using Kurt Russell. Because he, we, as we have found out, he tried out for Hansel. So, there yeah. you go, folks. We're counting that. <laughs> Okay. Well, and this is the time that Bart sort of says, I'm on to you, Charlie, and sort of figures out that this whole thing with Wendy going to Huntington is a ruse, or that's what he claims to be with Charlie, and a big fight happens. This scene doesn't make much sense to me, because Wendy gets upset with Bart over this. Like, she gets upset with Charlie, which makes sense, because Charlie, you know, basically pulled the wool over her eyes with this, but... It doesn't make sense that she's upset with Bart. Because Bart, one, knew about the scheme because he had found out because he was the winner of the scholarship. But she doesn't know that yet. But it doesn't matter. He knew. And he didn't tell her. I kind of suspected that looking back, I I think 
She's mad because he, he knew and didn't say anything. Like, he figured it out and didn't say anything. So I can understand what she was a little upset about that, but she was, he wasn't in cahoots with her, so she got a little over-upset. Yeah, I guess if if you just take out the part that he had gotten a scholarship and would have had that knowledge, if you just go off of he's suspected that that uh, Charlie paid for this, fo- this phony scholarship and everything, if you just go off of the knowledge that Bart didn't get a scholarship, but he thinks that Charlie paid for this phony scholarship... In this scene, he's just confronting him and saying, I think you did this. But he doesn't necessarily know for certain. But, I mean, you're right, though, Cheryl, that, yeah, he did know. Like, he knew for certain, but we didn't know that he knew for certain watching the scene. I don't know. Also, had he told her beforehand, it wouldn't have been any better for him, right? Because she would have been, dude, you're doubting the fact that I got this scholarship on my own. I mean, you could see the yeah. other com- the other argument that would have ensued. So either way, he l- was going to lose. Either yeah. way. Well, he could have be, been honest and said, "Hey, I I found I know I know you didn't really earn the scholarship." And then he says, "I won the scholarship. But I'm not taking it because I was I want to be go to college with you." And forget, you know, saying not go to see more expensive college. And it would have been a much shorter movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With better edits. <laughs> yep. So after this big fight uh, with Charlie and Bart, uh, Wendy's back at school, but she's not writing home, which Charlie's pretty upset. He keeps checking in the mailbox, not seeing any letters from her. Um, and Bart comes to visit him at work and says that um, that he went up to the school and he can't find Wendy and she won't talk to him. Um, at which point, uh, Charlie's reaction is a little bit baffling. He just kind of goes, oh, yeah, I'm worried about her, too. And just goes back to his day. I think this is a good point to bring up the biggest question about this movie. Why is it called Super Dad? <laughs> Maybe because a- he's aspiring to be a Super Dad? I don't know. Is he really aspiring to be much of anything in this movie? <laughs> just meddlesome, I think. <laughs> so why not just call the movie Meddlesome Dad and keep it at that? Well, he doesn't even achieve that because Bart just told him that his daughter is not on the college campus, that she's supposedly going to this college. But he doesn't bother to make a phone call or, you know, really do much of anything to find out if she's actually okay. Like, if... If when I was in school, if someone had said, hey, Rachel hasn't been on campus for, like, days, my parents would probably be calling, you know, relatives and calling people and trying to find out where I am. Um, so he, wait, yeah. hold on. Um, I did that. <laughs> did what? I, was, I said to my parents I was going to classes. I never went to my classes. <laughs> <laughs> and they never. I, I think we've never all thought, been and, there. And, they, and I, um, I, I don't, I don't know if I, my parents don't listen to this podcast. I hope. <laughs> so if not, well, they, they're not finding this out. They know now. <laughs> they know now. <laughs> well. I- I think the plot device that actually gets him to be really concerned about Wendy is not the fact that Bart says she's not going to class and she's sort of missing in action. It's his 
heart-to-heart talk at the grocery store with Stanley in his new job where he says, oh, yeah, she's taking lots of art classes, and that's just drawing the line for Charlie. <laughs> well, he's paying for the art classes, right? Had it been a scholarship, he might not have been so upset, but he's actually the one paying, so I think that's probably why he was upset. Here's the thing, though. We're being really hard on the character. I mean, to be fair, it's clear from the course of the movie that he actually loves his daughter. Yeah. Oh, definitely. There's, I don't think there's any question about that. Right. Just his choices that he makes are poor. Yeah. And I think Bob Crane is, I mean, in some ways he's endearing, but in some ways I could see other actors like maybe Dean Jones being a little bit more endearing in sort of the craziness that happens. The Dean Jones grin is better than the Bob Crane grin. I'll give you that. (laughs) So Wendy finally does show up. Um, It turns out that she's actually participating in the strike, which has been carrying on throughout the movie, the union strike that is going on. Um, And she turns up on TV where they are uh, chanting Hirschberger's hamburger, which (laughs) does anyone know what that means? Well, because Hirschberger is the name of uh, the Joe Flynn character. His last right. name is Hirschberger. I don't know and if there's... Sh- and it's his shipping company. And it's his shipping company. Right. Okay, and but so what does I... the hamburger have to do with it? Though? All right. Again, you, you kids are not products of the 70s like <laughs> I am. <laughs> um, it, it's because he's chopped meat, and chopped meat was a way of saying, hamburger. you know, like, you know, you're, you're losing, you know, you're your chopped meat, you know, that was like, it was like a happy days. They said it all the time and stuff like that. Oh, so it's kind, of, it's, it's kind of like, um, like in New York when they have the union strikes and they'll have like a giant inflatable rat across the streets. Like that. It's just kind of something that when people see it, they know what it is and what it means. It's also a boxing term, right? Cause like you beat somebody up in their, you know, their chopped meat when you beat them. Oh. Up. It's the same, okay. same thing, mm-hmm. right? So chopped meat, hamburger, just Hirschberger, hamburger, rhymes. Mm-hmm. So, but th- I'm I'm guessing it's a reference to chop yeah. beef. And I yes. have to say, this was the this was the phrase of the movie that I repeated over and over as about a million times as an eight year old. So my family still will joke and say Hirschberger's hamburger because we used to say it all the time. <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> By the way, this reminds me of something very funny, so I'm going to bring it up. So. You know how they have the Dream Builder sign all around um, when they're building stuff at Disney World, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So we were walking by, and a friend's mom thought it said Dream Burgers, and so for the rest of the trip, we were going, we were going around. If you can dream it, uh, then you can, then we can build it. Dream Burgers. You know, we were, doing, we were singing like we that. We were looking at a song. If you, if you can build it, then we can eat a cream burgers. That's right. That was that was the, that was the hymn we came up with for like the whole rest of the trip. <laughs> so, um, as I was saying, Wendy is at the protest, but the problem is that Charlie doesn't want to necessarily admit that his daughter is participating in the protest. Um, but he kind of gives himself away when uh, when our uh, evil Bob Ross. Uh, shoves Wendy on camera and he runs out of the room to go try to find his daughter. Uh, Charlie's wife, Wendy, I meant Wendy, Sue, Sue, uh, shows Wendy's up again. 
Yes, Wendy is the daughter. Sue is the mother. Uh, Sue shows up again. She has found Wendy, and they're going to meet at uh, Fisherman's Wharf. And apparently they have been talking quite a bit, and they have some things to tell Charlie. Uh, but before Charlie gets to uh, to meet up with them, uh, Bart shows up at his office and asks what's going to be done about Wendy. Uh, Charlie kind of lays down the law, says this is a family matter, and uh, it makes it clear that Bart is not a part of that. Um, they meet up for lunch at Fisherman's Wharf, and uh, Wendy has a little problem. Which I don't know if any of you guys thought of something else when she said that she has a little problem. It, it oh, yeah. It indeed. It was also, again, the 70s, so definitely did. Um, this, this movie, by the way, and I, didn't, I had forgot. So here's the thing. I didn't really realize until we were watching this the other night that this was even a Disney movie. Because, again, I remember I said I remembered only two scenes of it. One of them was the beach stuff, and one of them was from the Fisherman's Wharf on. Okay? When I was a kid... I made my family out in California on a vacation to intentionally take me to Fisherman's Wharf for lunch because I wanted to go there and eat like they did in the movie. It was just like, this is the movie. This is the whole reason why I made them do that on that family trip. So Very exciting, I know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, this was, this was the part of the movie when I got confused, though. When she, when she explained her little problem... Uh, this this is how it actually happened, and then I'll tell you how I thought that they were explaining this. Um, she got involved with this Bob Ross guy, and he thinks that they're engaged because he gave her a painting and he won't take it back. And Charlie agrees to take the painting, give it back, and uh, cancel the engagement with evil Bob Ross. When I first watched this scene, I had to watch it again because I was confused. I thought that he... that. Um, he had some po- some painting that he'd done for her, but that he had it at his place and that Charlie had to go take it. Like, that he had to sneak into his place and get it. So the next scene when he gets the painting and he's just getting into the cab, I was really confused. Especially when the- when it gets destroyed. I was like, well, isn't it over then? Like, is is there still a problem? And then I realized, oh, wait, no, he has to take the painting back to to the guy. First of all, in, in no land is a, in modern society is a painting a means of engagement. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. There might be that one country out there. But may I may say that transporting the painting in a cab with it, laying, with it <laughs> next to you is not exactly the safest way I would have transported that painting. Well, and I'd like to know how they got it to the restaurant to begin with. Not in that cab. Not in that cab. And apparently it probably took up a lot of the coat room, which is where they said it was housed. <laughs> yeah, this is why you always see those big giant paintings actually as like a series of smaller paintings in space between them nowadays, I think. This movie right here. <laughs> So, uh, at this point, Charlie heads out to the dock uh, to return the painting to evil Bob Ross. Um, I, what, is it, what is this character's name? I'm just going to keep calling him this if I it's don't know clutch, his name. but it's so much clutch. better that you're calling him evil Bob Ross, so please don't even correct yes. yourself. <laughs> okay. I agree. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Bart shows up in the wait, midst wait, of wait, all wait. this. And the, 
wait, let's go, let's not forget, the painting gets run over by a trolley because they're in, they're in somewhere that there's a trolley. Because in San and they have to back up the trolley to get the painting together. In, in San Francisco, you always have to have a trolley involved. Always, it's a rule. <laughs> but it makes the painting much more manageable to carry in the cab. Yes, yes. I, I agree. Much why did they just start that way? It's like why did why did you even bother with getting it back in one piece? Aside from maybe the fact that this guy is sort of dangerous, but it's it's kind of hard to take him seriously as being a dangerous person because he's evil Bob Ross. <laughs> <laughs> why, why even here's the thing. Go to the guy and just tell him you're not marrying my daughter. Why even bother with the whole painting stuff anyway? I, I really don't. Maybe, maybe you don't want to be sued. <laughs> That's all I can think of. Dude, he's, a ge- guy, he's a gentleman. <laughs> he lived in a commune on the docks. <laughs> I don't think there was a problem with lawsuits. Like he, has a, he is a lawyer on retainer for such situations yeah. in which uh, yeah. in, in which his uh, engagements are broken off. <laughs> his lawyer was the monkey statue, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> So in the midst of all this, after after the painting is is broken by the trolley and he gets down to the dock, uh, Bart shows up and wants to help. Um, but again, Charlie tells him this is a family matter and to stay out of it, which is a mistake. Um, so Clutch, B- evil Bob Ross, lives um, on a houseboat. Uh, he go and Charlie goes in and to return this painting, and Clutch goes a little crazy. A, a little, little crazy, <laughs> <laughs> and just keeps ruining his own artwork. Just every everything he does. Well, he wasn't selling be... it anyway, so he had to do something with it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody was buying this stuff, so I'm not too concerned about that. <laughs> I I did love there was there was one little detail in this scene I I did enjoy the uh, the painting that the self portrait that he was doing of himself. <laughs> <laughs> That looked a lot like Bob Ross also. <laughs> um, I kind of liked how Bart during this whole part of the movie has this like, now, I don't want to say Bruce Wayne, but he, more like Dick Grayson just standing outside. You know, he's got the black turtleneck on. He's just, you know, standing ready to, ready to act. I don't know. Well, if well, he had been Snake Plissken, he would have been much scarier. Yes, <laughs> which would have been because, awesome. <laughs> because he'd have one eye and a limp. And then Bob Crane or Evil Bob Ross would never have said anything to him. <laughs> no, much, much shorter film again. <laughs> <laughs> this all could have been solved faster with Snake Plissken. <laughs> <laughs> but yet Bert, Bert, Bert comes and helps and solves and solves and breaks up, breaks, f- fights with Clutch. To the rescue and saves Charlie. Yep. And then Charlie and Bart have a little heart to heart. Um, and Charlie asks Bart how it is that he knew about uh, the scholarship, where we find out that Bart actually did get a scholarship. Uh, but he chose to give it up so that he could go to the same school with Wendy. Which meant that Wendy didn't even score number two on that test, by the way. Nope. Because she, because she didn't actually end up with the scholarship after. So. Yep. 
And so Charlie finally sees that Bart is a good guy and really cares about Wendy. So, of course, it means that now they're going to get married. Which, like, that's the worst transition ever. Like, there's no sort of, like, you know, coming together and a heart-to-heart with Dad and Wendy. No, they just suddenly are getting married. Yep. Yep. And don't forget, then we need Stanley's room one more time. Only it's a different one this time. Now it's a meat and cheese truck. <laughs> <laughs> and and Stanley warns Charlie not to slam the back door, but he does it anyways. And so once once they get to the church, the back door is stuck, and it looks as though Charlie might be missing his own daughter's wedding. Um, and the priest is very upset because they they have another wedding in five minutes, which I have to ask how closely together they're scheduling these weddings. It was a Saturday. They said so. That was what the priest said. But they're only ten minutes late. <laughs> like, how long did they think the wedding was going to last? I'm not sure. I, I, there are no wedding services that only last, what, they, they, it would have been, what, ten minutes, maybe? Ten, fifteen minute long service for a big wedding like this? I mean, I could understand if it was that they were just going down to the courthouse to, to you know, to get married down there. That's not going to be a super long ceremony or something. But they have the church rented out. That's true. They do. Yes. Also, they take a lot more, much longer than five minutes anyway to get through the rest of the movie. So I guess the other people just out of luck at that point. <laughs> <laughs> So the last part of this movie is the wedding. The wedding starts, and we get one more reprise of our favorite song. Yes. These are the best times. Oh, yeah. They sure are. And let's not forget <laughs> that, 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 that no one has the heart to tell him, except to tell him that he smells like liverwurst because he had been in a deli truck. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which and we forgot to say the best part about him being stuck in the truck is at the very end, Mother Barlow, who comes riding into the wedding on a motorcycle, is the only person to get him unstuck from the truck. Yep. Which is all those bad. all those men yanking at the at the door and she's the only one to get it open. It's pretty awesome. Also I want to point out that for all that he loves his daughter, he doesn't kiss her. When she gets married, he walks her down that aisle. They talk all the time. Doesn't even shake her hand, <laughs> let alone kiss her. He just off to Bart. There you go. Again, another another thing that does not make sense in this movie. I I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what this is ripe for. You know how they take uh, how they take really badly edited movies and like some people online will re-edit them. To make them make more sense. Oh, yeah. Like, I would love to see someone do that with this movie. Love it. I would yeah. I would definitely see that. Yeah. Like, they've been doing re-edits of, uh, of the uh, Star Wars prequels. And I also heard they did one for Close Encounters. Which are both, you know, like, Close Encounters, great movie. This one would definitely benefit from a re-edit. Yeah, you know what else? It's like uh, with Star Wars and Star Trek, there's the Shakespearean versions that have been recently released. A Shakespearean version of this might not have been so bad. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know, with how episodic and like how quickly it change completely changes its direction at times, this might make more sense in Shakespearean. Yeah. So, any more notes that people have about Superdad? Well, there are a couple. There's at least one uh, cameo that we didn't talk about, or one star, which was Ed Bagley Jr. He was one of the gang members. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, like I said, he's he's actually in some of the other med yeah. the movies that all the kids are in in the seventies. So yeah, I, I'm sorry. You're right. Ed Bagley Jr. was one of these kids in like all of these movies. And apparently we missed him. I I I missed him when we ran when you ran the when you ran the merit when you ran the race last year, Todd. Because apparently he runs that race every year, and I missed him totally on the course. So no, didn't see him finish. Oh. Disney, oh, Disneyland funny. half marathon. Yep. About. Oh, cool. And the other yeah. thing that I saw was that um, I remember where I read it was that uh, Kevin Corcoran. From one of the child actors from Sis Family Robinson and gosh, I'm blinking now of the other things. Uh, Old Yeller was actually a production assistant on this set, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, oh, at that yeah. time he was he had moved on to um, from acting to he was moving on to acting from to production. Yeah. Um, and I had a quick appearance by John Fiedler on TV. Piglet. Oh, right, he's, he's he's a little guy that pops on a, as the commercial when after listening to Generation Gap on TV. Then there's a commercial. He's the doctor in the commercial. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think the last movie we saw him in was The Shaggy DA, where he was a cop. All right. So, are we yeah. ready to rate this thing? Yes, let's. All right, uh, Cheryl, let's. Let's have you go first this time. I'm what what, go what did you give this? Two. It. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not. I would not go seeking it out. I would, if say, if you, if you can find someone that owns it, watch it. Um, I. I guess I would pay the, what the three dollars for this. Yeah, I would pay the three dollars for this. Yeah, go sure. It's three dollars. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, that's how I feel. Um. I wish it were like on Netflix or Amazon Prime or something. I mean, I don't understand why ne- why Di- why Disney on their Netflix deal only has like certain movies and certain ones not on their you know thing. I wish they would cycle through those out a little bit. Certainly, they can only make money on this movie. So <laughs> <laughs> apparently, yeah. I, I can't wait to again. I like I like to say I like to be the guy that after this podcast. Like ten people go rent this movie on various platforms. He's like doing the reports, and, and he's like giving the reports in, and then he's like, "Wow, why are these people watching Superdad? We got a spike in Superdad." Bob Crane is having a a late post death uh, career resurgence. Yeah. Well, All if you're a Bob, this. yeah, if you're a Bob Crane fan, you should just be going and watching Hogan's Heroes. You know. Gus is actually better than this. Too, so. All right. Well, Sarah, what would you say you would give this rating? You said you were going to give it a nostalgic and a, a, a critical rating. I am. So for nostalgic purposes, I'm going to say three just because 
it is something that I remember from childhood and I would watch again with fondness because of that. There are certain things that remind me of my family. Uh, I'm going to go with Cheryl, though, in the regular rating of a two. Uh, I think plot-wise, it's all over the place. I think uh, Bob Crane, while I love him, and I, I agree with Todd that Hogan's Heroes, if you should definitely check that out. That's where he shines. Uh, this was not the role for him, I don't think. I think that it was sort of a wasted um, venue for someone like Kurt Russell. Uh, Bruno Kirby is definitely the standout, but I think in general the acting is pretty pretty weak. So I'm going to go with a solid two. And Todd, what what are you going to give this uh, Super Dead? So uh, I feel this, like I said, this to me this movie is meh. I, I mean, it's it's not really much of anything. I'm I'm one of those where I'm absolutely convinced there was an idea but not a script, despite that they said that one of the McEverdys wrote this. <laughs> I just can't convince myself that there was any such thing. So um, I I'm gonna really just go with a one. I, it's just it it's not only is it poorly written, it's poorly edited. Um, and that's, I, I just can't constantly do more than that. Well, I think I'm going to be in line with you, Todd. I'm going to be giving this one and a half stars. Um, I feel like this movie was strung together by whatever sets they happen to have, whichever actors they, you know, happen to have already in the 1970s Disney live action, uh, vault <laughs> that they seem to just pull them out of for these movies. Um, you know, I, I I stand by the fact that Bruno Kirby is really entertaining in this movie, and Kurt Russell he he does a good job as the likable uh, boyfriend. Um, but I think for ratings of two or higher, they're movies that I would probably go back to and watch again. And I don't think I'm ever going to watch Super Dad again, so I have to go with one and a half stars. So that's our ratings for Super Dad. Um, if you want to check it out, it is available on Amazon Prime and uh, Disney. I believe has it also streaming online. And, uh, it's available uh, on iTunes. And on iTunes. And it's, yep. on the, it's on the on their app. Let's not forget their new their new nifty app. Disney on. Movies Anywhere. Well, yeah, Disney Movies Anywhere is supported by iTunes. So. So, if you agree with us, if you don't agree with us, uh, let us know. Leave a comment uh, um, on our Facebook page, uh, on the website, DisneyFilmProject.com. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at DizFilmProject. Um, Sarah, thank you for joining us tonight on the show. It was great talking with, about uh, this interesting uh, trip back into nostalgia with you. Well, thank you guys so much for having me and... Uh... This was definitely fun to revisit this film. Not saying I'm going to do it again anytime soon, but definitely fun. Be sure to join us next week. We're going to be reviewing Captain America, uh, The Winter Soldier. Hirschberger's Hamburger. Hirschberger's Hamburger. I like the water downstairs better than I like the water upstairs. There's one thing your mother didn't realize. Mother Barlow's nuts. Hey, gang. Hey, wait for me. Hey, wait for me.